Good morning. That's what happens when you tell the creative arts team that you're up to bat today. They give you some nice walkout music. It's awesome. Thank you. Hey, um, a couple quick announcements, a couple quick things is number one is in a couple weeks, we're going to have Winter Jam, which is going to be here in town. And um, if anybody, not just students, but if anybody wants to come, we're going to do Jam Nation this year. It's 35 bucks. We get to get in early. So it's nice when it's in January and you get to get in early and you get to choose your seat. So if you're interested in that, look at the lineup. It's going to be a great concert and we'd love to have anybody who wants to. Secondly, we are going to do... We did this last year, and we're going to do a group selfie. Um, because last year, I heard that it did get up on the big mega, or whatever thing, at Arrowhead Stadium. So we're going to take a group selfie. I want everybody to get down here close, <laughs> and we're going to see if we can get this up on the big Arrowhead thing today. So get together, act like you love each other, okay? Act like you love each other. I'm sure everybody put on good deodorant today. Front people scoot down a little bit. All right, we'll, we'll see. It. Oops, it helps if I go backwards here. Okay, we'll, we'll do this. Yeah, this is, this is a good problem. All right, and then I'll get myself just tight, my bald head right there. Now, all right, everybody smile on the count of three. One, two, three. Awesome. I kept my bald head out of the picture. Well, I am thankful to be able to speak with you today. Greg is down in Mexico, and Lori's out of town. Um, Greg's down in Mexico with a bunch of guys who are doing uh, some service work down there, so you can be praying for them. I think they're coming back on Wednesday. But I get the pleasure of being able to speak to you today about joy, hence the walkout music and everything. Um, Judah and I, we enjoy camping. At this point, it just, all that means is that we've made it to the side yard and camped out there. This year, hopefully we get to go a little bit further out, but we have create, I, I've begun to make survival, a survival backpack. Um, any of you have like a, a, a survival kit that you've made uh, for one reason or another? Um, maybe it's even in your car. Like if you get in a crash, you've got a certain amount of survival gear there. Um, just things to be prepared for. And I'm more and more convinced that we need a spiritual survival kit as well. I, I, there's a lot of things that are in our world today that are, are designed to attack our faith. And because Satan is very active and he knows what he's doing. In fact, in John 10, 10, it says, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus speaking here, have come that you might have life and life abundantly. So there are two different plans in place. Today, we're going to be uh, talking about a little, not, not necessarily all of our survival kit that we need to have, um, but the Bible does have some good stuff in it for that purpose. In Ephesians, there's the armor of God. Uh, it's something that I really encourage you to study. 
These are things that are designed to help us, to protect us, to make us uh, strong against the attacks. But there's also things like the, the fruit of the Spirit. And these are things that are given to us by the indwelling of the Spirit within us that are for the blessing of our community here, but also they help sustain us in some of these challenging times. And I'm going to be talking about one of these things today. It's just a three-letter word called joy. Joy. Joy is a small word, but it's a big idea, isn't it? It's a big concept. And I think that if I'm honest, I, I think it's something that's really lacking in our world today. I see a lot of frustration. I see a lot of anger, bitterness, resentment. I don't see a lot of joy. And, and if I'm honest, I think some of our churches are struggling in this area too. So what do we do as Christians if this is part of the essence of God that is given to us with the indwelling of this Holy Spirit in our lives? What are some things we can do to make it more prevalent? And so I'm going to go through actually six different principles that we can use to hopefully kind of see whether we're on God's path, on Jesus' path for our life, or if we're on Satan's path. And this is about as be most self-help as I'm going to get I'm not, I don't do a ton of that stuff, so if you want to write this down, it's, it's some very helpful things because these are actually coming from God. And I encourage you to think about on each of these principles, which path do I tend to, to take on this? And here's the first one. The first principle is learning to distinguish joy versus happiness. Joy versus happiness. I believe that Satan wants us to believe that they are one and the same thing, Right? That happiness and joy are the same thing. Happiness is not, it's not a bad thing by any means, but it's not a stable emotion. It, it's something that goes up and down. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's nomadic in a sense. It, we, we don't want to set camp up here permanently, right? We just kind of pick it up and we go. It, it, it's temporary. It, it, there's a direct connection that, between our happiness and our circumstances, isn't there? But joy is different. The, the Greek word that means joy actually means to, it's a feeling of happiness that is based on spiritual realities. L let me kind of try to describe it a little bit this way. Um, I've got a balloon here, and on the balloon I have happiness. And just imagine these, the balloon is signifying our circumstances. And in our lives, we have things that happen, you know? <laughs> We're born. Hopefully that's a good thing. Okay. It fills up the balloon a little bit. We have other, other things in our lives. We do well on a test. We, we uh, are able to date that person that we really wanted to. And it goes up and then they, they break up with us. So that goes back some, right? And then, you know, we, 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 um, we make it to that college that we want. And then we, um, we are able, we find that right person. We get married and we have kids. And we can keep going back and forth. And sometimes things just don't happen that were a part of our plan. I mean, yes, things go back and forth, but they don't really happen exactly how we had planned. Maybe a, a close relative dies. Maybe it's somebody, maybe, maybe we had never planned on a divorce. And all of a sudden, these these ideas of happiness seem like they're 
gone forever. Boy, that didn't pop like I thought it would. It really popped earlier. You get the concept. Here's the thing about joy. Joy is a little different. Joy is independent of our circumstances. Now imagine this is joy. The same things happen. Get bigger, more and more exciting things, it goes away. But joy is independent of what happens here. I'm going to get really big here. And here's what happens. is when we have, when Jesus gives us principles and helps us understand the promises of joy, he also puts this joy in our hearts. And it protects us. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And if I can find my little thing that I had, or not, I lost it. But anyway, if you puncture this, it won't blow. It won't go away. If you ever do this, you put tape on it, it won't puncture. It'll, it'll, it'll keep it together. And that's the thing of joy. Joy will keep our lives together. Because it is something that is independent of our circumstances, isn't it? It's based on promises and realities that Jesus has given us. What a, what a joy that is to know that we are not based upon just our circumstances. It's part of the very essence of God that he gives us in our lives. It's, it's the fruit that he gives us. Here's a number two, a number two principle. There is a connection between joy and discipline. There's a connection between joy and discipline. I believe that what Satan wants for us is to leave an undisciplined life. There, there's uh, messages out there that just say, you know, uh, just do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. You know, do, what, do what's right in the moment. And a lot of people live their lives according to these moments in their lives, not really thinking about the discipline that it takes to really live a well-intentioned life. James 1, 2 through 3 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Does that make sense? It, it just, seems, just so, it seems so out of place. It doesn't seem to make sense. But in God's upside down kingdom, this makes a lot of sense. He's saying, because when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. See, in this verse, we're both looking at the fact that joy is not based on our circumstances. It's based on something much bigger than that. And that we can actually take joy in some of the challenges to our faith because it helps develop discipline in our lives. There's an interdependence between these two concepts. And I've found that you rarely have joy without developing the practice of discipline in your life. Because joy is really looking at the long haul of life. It's not in the, in the temporary moments. It's choosing to forfeit what's what we want now for something greater later, for a blessing in the future. It's an invested feeling. It's not a feeling that you feel in the moment, but it's for a greater future. And parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Do you always make your kids happy? No. Do you always try to make your kids happy? No, not always. We're not called to just be best friends, are we? Hopefully we get to do that too. But we're called to be parents. 
Because what we're doing is we're investing into something bigger, a discipline in their lives that they can have to have the greater joy in life later. I'm not going to do what just feels right in this moment to make my kid happy. I'm going to do what's right to invest into their future. So we understand this. And this is an important understanding for us in this concept and this principle of joy. The next four, we're going to be looking at one passage of scripture primarily. So you can, you can open it to with me. This is Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at our last four principles on this. this. This passage is talking about discipline, but we just talked about the similarities, some of the symbiotic relationship between, between uh, joy and discipline. And let's look here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that's, that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This passage, let, let me stop there. We see here that uh, this is likely Paul writing this in Hebrews. We don't really know, but it sounds a lot like some of the things he would write. But he is saying here, he's, he's saying that we are surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses, this huge crowd of people. And I used to think about this passage similar to what I used to run the 400. And um, I remember you would, I would run the 300 and then that last bit, you would hear the crowd cheering, right? Your parents, they were, you know, louder than everybody else, ah, you know, uh, really proud of you. And they were screaming. And that's what I used to think about with this. But if you look in the chapter right before, it's Hebrews chapter 11, and many times it's, it's known as the hall of faith. These are people who have been listed, who have been examples of faith, ways to live our lives faithfully. And when I look at this crowd of witnesses, this isn't just people who are there to cheer us on. These are people who have run their race faithfully. People who, who have been examples of faith, and it's saying since we are surrounded by these testimonies, these witnesses to, true, to the true path, to the true way we need to run, we need to throw off everything that, that, that slows us down. And here's a, here's a principle that I get from this. Joy is a team event and not a solo journey. It's a team event and it's not a solo journey. And I believe what Satan wants is he wants you to think that you're on this journey all by yourself. And what Jesus wants for us is accountability and teamwork. You hear this message of be you. And it's this idea that, you know, just, just figure out who you are. Just experiment, experience, do all these things to figure out who you are. But, but I truly believe there's a lot of loneliness in that message. I do. I, I, you know, I get the blessing and honor to be able to work with students. And they're in this very, um, the, the stage in their life where they're developing core identities of who they are. And this doesn't just happen with students. It, it happens with all of us. But, but a lot of times I'll see things like this. And I'll, you'll see it on social media where people will put up these images of who they are. And sometimes they put them up and they just, just to see if they stick, just to see what kind of support they get for these things. You know, here's who I am. And they wait for the response. 
And then two weeks later, oh no, here's who I am. And they wait for a response and they just wait to see what sticks. And meanwhile, tons of people give them thumbs up. Man, you, this is awesome. You're, but the reality is, is that all of us want somebody to actually invest in us. They want somebody to say, here is who God has made you to be. Here is the right path. And we get, so many people get lost up in this, this big encouragement, whatever. But they really, even though they're with a bunch of people or around a bunch of people, they feel all alone. Because nobody has taken the time to guide them. And I believe all of us need a guide. People who are willing to step up and say, we love you. And because of this, we know that there's this path. There's this, this path that God has for you. Since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to this path, let's throw off all those other things and run the race. You see, when we, when we have a team mindset of joy, we get accountability. We get people who will help guide us on this path so we're not alone. We're not trying to figure it out by ourselves. We get encouragement when we fall down. We have people who are willing to, to pick us up and help us to keep going. And it helps eliminate loneliness in our lives. I believe that's one of the biggest issues our, our society face, faces. We work so hard to be acceptable that we, don't, we aren't intentional, intentional in our lives. And what we really want is for someone to guide us instead of cheer us on. We want both. We need both but we need especially a guide. Without a guide, we get lost. And when we're lost, we're alone. And when we're alone, we give up. So when you're running a race, we want a coach and not a fan. We want someone to push us. And, and if we have a wise coach, people around us, then they will tell us similar to Jeremiah 6.16. Jeremiah 6.16 says this, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask, look for the ancient paths. Ask for the ancient paths and you will find rest for your soul. It's not in just the new or the temporary, the popular things. It's in the wise paths that have been trodden before you. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off everything. That's my next one. My fourth principle is joy is more complete when you're not weighed down. Right? It's, it's a lot more complete when we're not weighed down. And Satan's plan for us is to suffocate us with burdens. Sometimes these burdens are actually disguised as blessings. But ultimately they're burdens. Jesus' plan for us is to be free to run. It's to be free to run. Let me read this verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses... To the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Not all baggage can be removed. That's just the reality of it. Some of us deal with some health, health issues, things that just can't be removed, things that have a, they can try to chip away at our joy. Maybe it's a relational issue that is not your fault, it's somebody else, but you just can't make it right with them. Or maybe it is your fault and you've done all the process you can to try to seek forgiveness, but they just won't give it to you. Or maybe it's a chief's loss, hopefully not. They're going to win today, right? Right? 
But what we need to do is we need to work to remove the baggage, any of the baggage that we can. God wants us to be able to run free. So we need to learn to forgive when necessary. Let, those, let that baggage fall off of us. Learn to forgive other people. Let go of sin. Some of us treat sin like it's a comfort blanket and we just carry it along with us. We go back to our sins and we, because it's comfortable. We need to let those things go because it's, it's, it's hindering our run. And for some of us, we need to allow God to forgive you. You need to let God forgive you inside. Give God your guilt as well. Some of us believe that if we feel bad enough long enough, that, that that's forgiveness. It's not. When God forgives you, it is complete. You show that by choosing joy instead. Here's my fifth principle. Actually, I shouldn't say mine. It's God's principles. The fifth principle is this. Change in focus versus change in condition. Change in focus versus change in condition. Let's look back in Hebrews 2 here. Or Hebrews 12. Let's read. When we do this, or we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. And then he talks about a while about how Jesus gives us, God gives us um, discipline as a good parent. Because he's a loving father, he gives us discipline. Now let's pick it up in verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. Catch the word joy in there. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. We need to learn to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one that we stay focused upon. He is the perfect example. He is the perfect expression of joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he looked beyond this moment and he looked beyond and he saw the end result. He looked beyond the cross to the coronation. Let's look in Old Testament. I don't have it up there, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. It makes me think of this passage in the Old Testament in Numbers. Maybe you know this, this story. It happens in, in Numbers chapter 21. And I'm, it's, it's fairly short, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. But this is a story of the Israelites. They're in the, in the, in, uh, the desert. They've left Egypt, and they're, they're, they're traveling through the desert on their way to the promised land. And it says, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out to Egypt, out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. Now, let me remind you that 
God has done miraculous provisions for these people. There is nothing out in the desert, and yet God continues to do miraculous things to sustain them and to provide for them. And what are they doing? There's no joy here, I can tell you that. They're being frustrated. We hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Sounds like a parent, right? Just, no, just kidding. When the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Why do I use this story? You see, we find, I, I find this interesting. And what happens is, is that they're, they're complaining, they're frustrated, and, and all of a sudden there's these snakes that are there that are biting them. And they ask God to remove their circumstances. And God doesn't remove their circumstances, but he still provides a way out. He says, let's make this bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And anyone who keeps their eyes focused on this serpent, this bronze serpent will be saved. It actually, Jesus uses this, this story in one of the most famous passages of scripture in John chapter three. He uses this same passage here. And here's what he says in this. He's talking to, to, to Nicodemus here, who's one of the Pharisees. He said, I assure you, we tell you that we know and have seen, and, you, and yet you won't believe our testimony. Remember this great cloud of witnesses. He's saying, there's people who have done this path before, but you won't believe us. But if you don't believe me, then when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... So the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes him in him will have eternal life. And then you can read it with me for God. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. What is this focus that we stay focused on? It's this promises that God gives us. It's the promises that God gives us that he has not forsaken us, that there is a way out from this. And whatever you're feeling, whatever you're, if, if the snakes are biting you right now, stop looking at the snakes and start looking at Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He is the salvation for whatever is troubling you. And it doesn't mean you're going to be removed from your circumstances, but you have somebody, you have somebody you can look to and he will provide a way out. He will provide a salvation in the midst of that. I don't know if you heard about a month or so ago, Toby Mack, he's a Christian singer. And his oldest son, Truett, age 21, died. And we don't really know exactly the circumstances under this. But I tell you what, when I see people who exhibit things, who exhibit and, and rely on these promises of God in the face of tri trials and frustrations, these are the people I tend to gravitate towards because I'm like, you know what? There is something about them that is not just in the temporary they have clung and held to the promises of God, and that is what I want to do in my life. And he posted this last week. He wrote a song for his son. 
And he also, uh, I, I just want to read this really quick thing, but here's what he says. 20 years, 21 years, that's the name of his uh, song, is a song I wrote about the recent passing of my firstborn son, Truett Foster McKeon. I loved him with all my heart, Toby Mac wrote on Instagram. Until something in life hits you this hard, you never know how you will handle it. I am thankful that I have been surrounded by love, starting with God's and extending to the community near and far that have walked with us and carried us every day. Writing this song felt like an honest confession of the questions, pain, anger, doubt, mercy, and promises that describe the journey I'm probably only beginning. One thing I know is that I am not alone. God didn't promise a life of no pain or even tragic death, but he did promise he would never leave us or forsake us. And I'm holding dearly to that promise for my son as well as myself. I know many of you have faced some of these challenges and it encourages me when I see that you continue to hold to these promises in the midst of life's hardest times and you choose joy in the midst of that. I believe that's one of the best examples that we can use of Christ in our lives is when we choose joy when it doesn't make sense. We focus on where we're going instead of where we're at right now. And what it doesn't mean is that you won't experience pain. Joy doesn't. But what it does mean is that you, instead of looking at the serpents, you, you, you focus on your salvation. Discipline is not enjoyable, but it does provide a way for our future. I think even in the name of joy itself, we get a kind of a, a direction. Jesus, others, and then yourself. Jesus, others, and then yourself. Joy, J-O-Y. And I think that that's the focus that we need to have is focus on Jesus, focus on who he is, focus on others. We talked about the community of believers, that, that group that we're able to run with, that crowd of witnesses, receive this from others, but then turn around and look to give this to somebody else. You will find joy in that, in receiving this gift and in giving this gift to others and focus on yourself third. If our goal is to be happy, thousands of obstacles will get in our way. But if our goal is to honor God, then we can accomplish that no matter what our circumstances are. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And here's the last principle, number six. Joy is a healing and not a feeling. It's a choice. I believe that Satan's plan for us is to merely think that it's a feeling, but Jesus's plan for us is based on the reality that he is, he is healing us. It is a healing and it's not a feeling. I know plenty of you strong Christians who people I look up to who, who struggle with things like depression, anxiety, and, and those things, but they choose to daily listen to what God says and his promises instead of what they feel. I'm so thankful that I don't have to just rely on my own feelings. And here's, here's how this passage ends up. Let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 12. It's a great encouragement. Here's what Paul says to us. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. It's an encouragement to us to keep going. 
Keep going. It's an intentional act to choose joy. You might, be, you might be exhausted, you might be worn out, but keep going. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. If you're just going to go off feelings, probably would have checked out a while ago. But it's a choice. Make the choice to keep going. Make the choice to trust the process. Focus on the joy ahead instead of what you're currently feeling. How many of you have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a great movie, isn't it? I love that movie. It's a story of, uh, of Eric Liddell and a few others uh, on the uh, Great Britain uh, Olympic track team of 1924. And Eric Liddell is a fascinating character. He was the fastest man in all of, all of Scotland and England as well. Um, he was training for the 100-meter dash and had a very good chance at, at winning gold in this. And there was another guy, uh, well, first off, he found out a few months before the Olympics that one of the preliminary runs was on a Sunday. And he was a very devoted Christian and made the choice that he could not run on the Sabbath. And so he decided he wasn't going to run this, but instead would run the 400-meter dash, which if you've run these two, these are very different races, completely different races. And he didn't have a ton of time to prepare for this. And so, but what he did is he, he practiced for it and he prepared for it. His best rate run before he went to, to the Olympics was significantly less than what it would take to win, to win the race. Uh, but he, he held firm to that. And uh, when he got there, uh, another one of his, his fellow people that he had beaten uh, multiple times ended up winning the 100-meter dash. So he, he very likely could have won that gold. But he got up in the, in the, the finals of the 400-meter dash and was placed in the very slowest lane. And another person gave him a note that read this. It, said, it was from 1 Samuel 2.30. It says, those who honor me, I will honor and he put this note in his pocket as he ran. Eric later said that this was his plan to run the race, is that he would run the first 200 yards, 200 meters as, as hard as he could, as fast as he could, and then he would just trust God from that point on. <laughs> if you've ever done that, you get to a 200 point, especially if you've run it that hard, and you are just exhausted. And after 200 meters, Eric was well ahead of the other runners, but he was, nobody thought he would keep up that pace. His previous best at the distance was not enough what it would take to beat the rest of the pack. But all of a sudden, he did what was his trademark move. In a move that showed his submission and dependence to God, he would begin to lift his head, and he would open his mouth, and he would begin to run almost a little wild as he did it. But a look of joy would come across his face. Eric had given up his sure chance at happiness to give glory to God. He put his happiness on hold, and in his submission to God, he found joy in the running of the race. And in the end, Eric broke the world record that day and would open wide, and, and he would win the gold in the 400-meter dash, giving glory to God in all that he did that day. And if you think that's impressive, he then gave that gold medal up and went on the, on the mission field to China where he would be a missionary to thousands, ultimately dying in a Japanese internment camp in 1945 with the last words, it's complete surrender. 
Landon Gilkey, who survived this same Japanese internment camp Eric was at and became a prominent theologian here in America, said this of Liddell. Often in an evening, I would see him bent over a chessboard or a model boat or directing some sort of square dance, absorbed, weary, and interested, pouring all of himself into this effort to capture the imagination of these pinned up youth, other youth who were in this internment camp with him. He was overflowing with good humor and love for life in a camp. And with enthusiasm and charm, it is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anybody I've ever known. Eric Liddell's life shows us what joy is all about. It's choosing joy over our happiness, is choosing the future and choosing to focus on God instead of focusing on our circumstances, is learning to surrender our race, our life to his plan is choosing to surround ourselves with other people who can help us. And it's changing your perspective. It's a choice to receive a healing instead of a feeling. Jesus, others, and then yourself. And in God's upside down kingdom, that's how we find joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the joy that you give us through the indwelling of your spirit. And it's not easy. If we're focused on our feelings, it's, it's going to come and go quick. But if we are focused upon who you are, if we are focused on, on your son, if we are focused on the promises that he gives us, then we can do that. We can have joy in the midst of struggles, in the midst of hardships. Thank you so much that you have given us this way out. Lord, help us as we live this out in our daily lives as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.